St. Martin's School Radio. Hello, welcome to St. Martin's School Podcast. My name is Fiona Edwards and here with me is fellow Year 11 student Patrick Farmer. Hello, thank you for having me on the show. With the upcoming election just 15 days away, we will be interviewing four candidates from different parties, each hoping to represent Caerphilly in the Senate over the next five years. As this is the first time 16 and 17 year olds will be allowed to vote, we would like to give young voters an insight into Welsh politics so that come May the 6th, you will be able to make an informed decision on who you want to be represented by. Our first guest on this election special is Mr. Heaven David, Labour candidate and the current member of Senate for Caerphilly. Good afternoon, Mr. David. How are you? Hello, I'm very good. Thank you very much. I'm glad there's only two weeks to go. You can imagine. <laughs> As I mentioned earlier, this is the first year 16 and 17 year olds will have the right to vote. So my first question to you is, for those who don't know, what does the Senate do and why is it so important for young people to be able to vote? Well, the Senate is responsible for uh, devolved matters, and that, that covers a great, great many issues in our lives. For example, education, health, the environment, roads, uh, all of those kinds of things are covered by, by the, uh, the, the Senate and the Welsh Government is responsible for. So the Welsh Government is chosen from members of the Senate. Uh, and also, of course, this last year, the most difficult year of our lives, when a year we'll always remember uh, and tell our children and grandchildren about. This, this last um, year has been the responsibility of the Welsh Government, the restrictions that have been introduced to keep us safe. Uh, you would have seen Mark Drakeford, Von Gethen, Kirsty Williams on TV. And uh, we've, we voted back in March, I think it was March the 24th last year, to introduce these restrictions. Um, you don't go into politics to put restrictions on people. Um, and I never imagined, I never, I couldn't have even begun to imagine that that is what uh, I'd be doing in my term in the Senate. But that is what we did. Um, and the whole purpose of them is to, to keep people safe. So, you know, it's really important that people have their say and, uh, you know, your views on how lockdowns progressed, how coronavirus has been managed, but also those wider issues in your lives. If you vote, that's you saying what you think for the next five years. Off the back of young people finally being able to vote, more and more young people have reported signs of deteriorating mental health, which over the pandemic has only worsened. With this in mind, how do you plan on introducing a new curriculum throughout Wales, putting even more pressure on students while simultaneously supporting their mental health? Well, two key things there. Um, the, the new curriculum has mental health and well-being at its heart. So it's the first curriculum that has said uh, that well, well-being should be a, a, an integral part of it. So uh, one of the things that will be taught within the curriculum will be how to manage your mental health, uh, how to manage your well-being and things like mindfulness. All of these things are a fundamental basis of what needs to be taught in the future. Um, and I suppose at the, the heart of your question is, well, you're making all these changes when we've already gone through one of the biggest changes uh, in, in our lives ever. The curriculum is going to be introduced gradually. So if you're in year 11, you won't see the new curriculum, I think, until 2026. So it's a, it's, a, it's a gradual introduction. It's not going to be suddenly thrown at people uh, to, to grasp a whole new curriculum you know, uh, all at once. And that's good for teachers as well, so they can get prepared and get ready. 
Um, some teaching unions have asked for a delay in the introduction of, curric of the curriculum. I think that's a, an issue for the Welsh Government to consider, only a de delay of one year. But if we think of it as being introduced gradually, I think you've got to start off some point. Um, and, uh, and, and that's what's uh, uh, likely to happen in the, year, in, in the year ahead and then the years ahead. So it's not one huge change that's going to shock people, but a gradual change. And, and one other thing about mental health, um, you know, I've got two children, a three-year-old and a five-year-old. I've also got a 13-year-old stepdaughter. She's um, struggled very different, found it very difficult during lockdown. And my, my five-year-old, who's autistic, has struggled too. Um, and what we've done is we try to help vulnerable children get places in school. Those with additional learning needs are guaranteed places in this third lockdown. And I've been part of the Children, Young People and Education Committee that has met with young people. Uh, and one of the things that we've learned is that we don't, we shouldn't be talking about catch up in the years ahead. Uh, we should forget about catch up. It's not about catching up. We haven't, we haven't fallen behind. What we've done is faced a whole new world. Our world has changed and changed considerably. And that is what the curriculum needs to address. Not trying to catch you up to where you were before, but recognizing how things are fundly, fundamentally different now. So, so in the same sort of topic of healthcare, after reports of failings at the Prince Charles Hospital Maternity Ward in River Tidville, where reported 160 cases, how will Labour ensure that maternity units and any unit in the NHS are working to its best standards and not, and not be performing any malpractice? Yeah, so that, that was the maternity unit in the Prince Charles Hospital. That's covered by the Cardiff and Vale Health Board, which is just outside of our area. We are covered by the Unirin Bevan University Health Board. My role as a member of the Senate is to raise any concerns with the health boards. Um, and with regard to the Unirin um, Bevan Health Board, I found them to be incredibly responsive. I know the Chief of Executive very well, um, and I've taken lots of individual cases to them. I've got no concerns about anything in that regard in the Unirin Bevan Health Board. What happened in the Kumtahav Health Board is that there were serious failings found in 2019 and the Welsh Government launched an immediate inquiry. That inquiry reported straight away. The Chief Executive resigned um, and was replaced and they introduced new staff and sweeping changes to undertake maternity services. And just to reassure everyone, since then, regular inspections and reports by an independent team of experts uh, has said that good progress be is being made and standards of care are now excellent. So where that issue happened in Prince Charles and in the Cardiff and Vale Board, those concerns were address addressed immediately. Um, and I wouldn't want to frighten anyone into thinking, oh, well, you know, they these are ongoing problems. They're not. They've been addressed. And one of the things that the Welsh Government has done is also introduce a brand new mother and toddler baby unit um, in the Tonner Hospital in Swansea for those pe people who need specific care. Um, but, you know, let me just say, the Anirin Bevan Health Board that covers our area is a very, very, very good health board. And they're very responsive to concerns when I raise with them. Um, so it was recently announced that Caerphilly will not be included in the Community Renewal Fund, despite us being one of the most deprived areas in Wales. If you were to be re-elected to represent Caerphilly, what would you do to ensure that we secure the resources and funding our community needs to grow? So, Caerphilly County Borough Council and the three members of Parliament representing uh, the uh, Caerphilly area have written to the UK government about this because the UK government had decided to exclude Caerphilly from that, that fund. Um, if I was a member of the Senate now, not a candidate in the campaign, I would have been signing up to that letter. Uh, and, and, and no doubt the regional members would have done the same too. So, what Caerphilly Council and, and the members of Parliament have said is that the, we've been missed out for the funding because the use of data for local authority districts was flawed 
Um, it, it didn't measure local skills needs. It didn't measure, measure any, any uh, economic inactivity. Uh, and the measures used uh, were skewed towards areas that had actually lower deprivation and lower, pro lower, lower poverty. Uh, and that was really the, the huge issue. So th there needs to be a change to include people undertaking qualifications as measurements, uh, number of children, uh, uh, people in, uh, not in education. And that is where the challenge is going into the UK government. And remember, if we had left the European Union, then uh, the European Union would have still provided that funding. And what the UK government has done is has taken away the funding through leaving the EU and not replaced it in Kefili. Now, my job is to make sure that that funding comes back and in, the, in what will be the Shared Prosperity Fund. I'm confident we can get that change. I'm confident that we can get that change, but it will take time. Believe me, there are politicians now making those representations, and I will be joining them with those rep representations if I'm re-elected to represent Kefili. How will the Young Persons Guarantee be implemented? So the Young Persons Guarantee is about uh, making sure that everyone who's under 25 has uh, either a job, education or training. So if you're under 25, you have access to either one of those three of those things, one of those three things. Um, and it's really important that, uh, first of all, if you are unable to find a job, you're able to access the right advice to give you the right access to the right training to get the right skills. Um, that is what the Young Persons Guarantee is, to make sure that there is no, at no point you feel left behind or not doing anything to be able to find a job or make yourself employable. But one of the things I'd say for you, and I used to be a university lecturer, uh, when it, and I used to teach um, um, professional development skills. And one of the things you need to recognize is learning is lifelong. You never stop learning but you've got to be learning the stuff that's going to be useful to you if you want to find work and meaningful work. So give you, to give you an example of how I feel, um, you know, we often talk about academic qualifications, doing your GCSEs, doing your A-levels, going on to get a degree, but we need to have the same uh, respect towards vocational qualifications. So you might want to do NVQs, get an apprenticeship. And one of the things that has happened this term are degree level apprenticeships. So now we are starting to be able to see if at 15, 16 years old, we're deciding where we want our career, our academic career to go. We could see a pathway of vocational qualifications right up to the age of uh, 25 in university. That's something that hasn't happened before. I want to see those expanded out so you could even plot your path in the same way you'd say, you know, if you wanted to go down the academic route, I'm going to do a GCSE in you know, economics or, or geography. I'm going to do an A-level in economics. I'm going to do a degree in economics. Well, now you could say, well, I want to do an apprenticeship uh, in technology, for example. Uh, and that uh, apprenticeship, I will top off with my master's degree uh, when I finish my university career and then get a job in that way. So, so that is where I mean priority of esteem, that we say that those people who want to follow vocational routes are, um, are as, as legitimate and respected as those who want to follow the academic routes. And that way, you start to see higher quality jobs because you've got higher quality skills. Um, and that's my, that, we're not there yet. So my plan would be to champion that and make sure that happens in the next end of the term. We've already begun the path. I think we can complete it in the next five years. Okay. So Swansea Bay at 10.4 meters has the second highest tidal range in the world. The Swansea Bay Tidal Lagoon project has been enacted for about for some years now after yeah. the participation of the UK government was rejected. 
This scheme would bring thousands of jobs and billions of revenue to Wales, which undoubtedly would be used to help public infrastructure, for example. Has the Welsh Government pursued other routes, for example, foreign country investment or private investment to complete this project? I have no doubt if that is possible, that will happen. The problem is, is the amount of money required to, to, to do it. And what you really need is it to be part of a UK-wide infrastructure project that ties in with other infrastructure projects, projects doing very similar things. You've got to have the political will behind it. And I just don't think the political will from the UK government has been there. Um, and that's why that project was abandoned. Uh, we've got to be careful about um, uh, uh, private investment in that if you use public investment alongside private investment, you get things like private finance initiatives, and that can be very costly to the public sector, more costly than just direct investment into it. So how that's done, you've got to be very careful. Uh, but more widely, yeah, I think that Swansea Tidal Lagoon is a really good idea of a project. You've got to be able to get the back end and the financing. If the way you suggest works, then definitely yes. But there are a whole load of other green projects that are going on, um, uh, not quite that kind of scale, but those are the. But but you know they they are there to to green our economy and lead to a green growth economy. So before the pandemic, almost a quarter of people in Wales were said to be in poverty. After. Does does Labour have any new plans to, to tackle the biggest issues in our country today, such as discrimination, poverty and regional equality that has that hasn't not been significantly um, sorted after 20 years of Labour? and uh, Well, I mean, the, the greatest uplift in spending on poverty, health um, and education happened since the greatest uplift since the Second World War happened between 1997 and 2010, when we had a Labour government in Westminster that increased health spending by the biggest amount since the Second World War, increased education spending by the same amount. You start to see new schools being built. You start to see new hospitals being built. We've seen those happen in our area. My old primary school had a million pounds spent on it during those years. Um, we see a brand new school in St. James. Uh, and, and that kind of uh, a, a spending has led to those kinds of infrastructure projects um, springing up in, in our communities and improving the environment. The problem is austerity came along and then shut all of that down. Um, although we still see uh, spending on um, the Welsh Housing Quality Standard, if you look at Lansby Park now, you'll see it's been transformed, uh, both the way it looks and also the kitchens and bathrooms there and those people living in houses there. Um, and that was direct attempt to tackle uh, inequality in our communities. I mean, I'm, I'm a, as, a, as a socialist, I'd say, you know, there's a structural inequality here. Uh, the problem we've had historically is that money gravitates to London and the southeast, where, uh, and that's across the UK. You know, you've got this regional uh, inequality that is inbuilt in the capitalist system. And what we need to see is the pro a progressive movement of money from that area to our area, uh, and that's through pro progressive taxation. The European Union was actually doing that. That's what they were doing with structural funds. You know, by leaving the European Union, we've seen a less progressive system being put in place, which we were just talking about. Um, I need to see that money, money that is in London and, and the South East, being diverted to Wales. That needs to, needs to happen, and I think that can happen. But, you, you know, I would say this, but you do need a Labour government in Westminster to push that agenda. Uh, and also locally, you know, we're seeing the growth... Uh, of the Northern Valleys. That's what we want to see. The, the M4 Relief Road will not be built, but there's a back way into Wales through the Northern Valleys and up to the Midlands. I think there's a great opportunity for places like Bargoed to benefit from that kind of regeneration. Um, and, and I really do believe that, that 
the north, the generation of the northern parts of our communities can really, really happen and take off, particularly post-pandemic. Yeah. Oh, and one, one other thing I was going to say. I was going to say, people say, oh, there's 20 years of Labour government. You know, we, we have been uh, chosen by the electorate over 20 years. But don't forget, during that time, we've been in coalition governments and we've been in coalition with Plaid Cymru and we've been co in coalition with the Liberal Democrats. Uh, and this time was a coalition with the Liberal Democrats. So, you know, it's been a very much a government of the centre-centre-left uh, over the past 20 years. You know, I'd love to see a majority Labour government. We've never had one in Wales. Uh, but I'm equally open to working with other parties, particularly the parties of the left, to achieve what we want for our communities. I know you mentioned Plaid Cymru and that you've been in a coalition government with Plaid Cymru in the past. Now, in their current manifesto, they have promised that if elected, they will hold an independence referendum by 2026. Do you think that Wales would benefit from becoming an independent nation? Or do you think that we're stronger as part of the UK? Can I split my answer into two parts here? Right? The, the first issue is that issue of a referendum. So I know I'm, I'm not in favour of referendums generally, regardless of the issue. Because I worry about referendums. Because what they do is they split families and communities along the, a very simple line of question that's usually a binary yes or no answer. And I don't think the world is that simple. So Brexit is a really good example. You know, the Brexit referendum that we saw split our communities. Um, it caused huge division between, between and within families. You know, and I, I really feel as we're coming out of a pandemic, to have a further referendum on something would cause real division in society just when we need to unite. That's not to say that you shouldn't pursue the cause of independence or, or any other cause. But I just think the referendum is the wrong way to do it. My feeling is the way to get something done is to win an election for your party and then do it that way. Um, and I just feel that, you know, we're doing Brexit. Those people who, who voted Remain uh, after the referendum were told to shut up. You know, oh, well, I'm, I'm a Remainer. Well, shut up. You lost. I actually heard Mark Reckless, the Brexit Party MS, say to in the chamber, shut up. You lost. You know, that's, that's just not a, a referendum causes that. If, if, I, if, if the Labour Party lose the election but still have MPs, then those people who voted Labour still have political representatives. Whereas in a referendum, that's the end of it. So, so that's my view about the referendum. The issue then about Welsh independence, I think, I mean, I'm, in, I'm very pragmatic and I'm, I'm not convinced myself that independence at this point in time is the right way to go. But equally, I'm not convinced the UK is working either. So I think we need to look at how powers are distributed across the UK. My general starting point is powers need to be closest to people affected by them. So coronavirus, people ask me questions about why the Welsh government's taking the decisions that they have. On Facebook Live, I can answer those questions because I can access the Welsh government. So you're really close to the action. And I think that's where decisions need to be. Now, you, you could make a very strong argument. Well, the way to do that is through Welsh independence. Uh, my feeling is, the same as being part of the European Union, I think being part of a bigger, bigger union is always better than being on your own. And that's why I'm quite sceptical about Welsh independence. But that said, you know, if there is a, a surge of support for it, and, and my party put it in its next manifesto, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be um, against that if that's where public feeling was going. But at this point in time, I think we've recovered from the pandemic. And I, I just feel it's probably the wrong time to start uh, pursuing that, particularly through a referendum. Would you support perhaps a more federalist system where, where, where the UK becomes more like states rather than separate countries? 
I very much so. I very much so. Yes, absolutely, Patrick. I would support that. Um, you know, and I think you need you need Wales doesn't have protections to the powers we've got. At any time, the Westminster government could come and take away our powers that we've got, and I think that would be absolutely wrong. And we need a written constitution that protects those powers. I I just I just wanted to ask something else about your about your view on referendums. Yeah. And, um, uh, and so, obviously, I'm, go I'm going to give an example with the Westminster government and how, and how during the David Cameron tenure, obviously, the referendum was called right, right at the end of this tenure without... It, it wasn't in their manifesto for, for having a referendum. So in what other ways would, uh, say, a, stri a striking issue is a play, would you, would you gain... The knowledge necessary in order to implement an idea. Well, I think you know David Cameron held a referendum because he was worried about UKIP. You know that's why he was yeah. he held a referendum because he was worried that UKIP was taking his party's votes. Um, you know that's absolutely the wrong reason to hold a referendum. Um, the thing about a referendum is it raises issues to the point where people feel so strongly about them that they they eclipse everything else. So if we had a referendum tomorrow about the death penalty. You know, it, and, and, and it was won by people who want to bring back hanging, then that would cause such uproar in the country. Whereas right now, people don't really think about it too much. So that's why I worry about a referendum. If you wanted to bring something in like independence, then why not do it? In the way Plaid Cymru are doing it now, for example, make it the core policy of your platform. Um, but don't put a referendum on it. Say, look, if we're elected, what we're going to do is bring forward the legislation to do it. We'll stand again for another term, and if you elect us again, we'll move towards independence. You know that, that or, or, or whatever the policy is. You know, there's there's a really easy way to do it um, that doesn't need to divide people, because ultimately, ultimately, what will happen if it is a popular policy, you can bet your bottom dollar that other parties are going to follow along as well. You know, it's happening in Scotland. The Green Party's pro-independence, and I think that's the way uh, it would happen. And there are as a group in the Labour Party called Labour for Indie Wales. They're trying to push the Labour Party towards. Welsh independence. I think that's absolutely the right way to do it by influencing parties to change their policies and then for them to do it rather than create these really awful referendums that divide people. So according to a recent YouGov poll, Labour is set for their worst result in a Senate election to date. What factors do you think have led to this projection? Um, I, I don't know, because there's another poll out yesterday that said we were in for uh, one of the best results we've, we've ever had. There was a, a poll out yesterday that put us on 40%, which is uh, high, five percent points higher than last time. And then the UGEV poll put us on 32%, which was three points lower than last time. So polls are pretty much all over the place. Um, I think the, this election is going to be about the handling of the coronavirus crisis, I think, um, because we're still not out of it. And I think a lot of people will say uh, um, that... that Mark Drakeford has handled it well, um, and that you know that that handling of it means please continue to handle it, uh, and I think Mark Drakeford will be put back in on that basis. Uh, that's my feeling, you know. It, uh, just speaking of, without any party politics, just looking at it from a distance, um, and I think that's what's influenced politics at the moment. We were out with Mark Drakeford in Caerphilly this afternoon. Uh, we were round by um, uh, by the Piccadilly, uh, knocking doors. And there was uh, uh, a couple of people said, I, I can't stand Mark Drakeford. Oh, God, you know, I'm over you, Evan, but I can't stand Mark Drakeford. That's honestly, honestly, no, they really did say that. And um, Mark turned up and he talked to them for, for 10 minutes and they really warmed to him. And they said, actually, he's all right. 
Um, I think people are people who are meeting him are, are realizing, you know, he's 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 had a hell of a struggle this last year, and I think coronavirus will be um, will will be what he is judged on, and I think as a consequence, what the Labour Party is judged on. Um, I don't set too much store by polls, but I, you know, I, I've I've worked harder this past year than than my whole life with this coronavirus crisis. But my daughter's at home. And I've been doing Facebook Lives. Uh, I've been uh, constantly on the emails. Uh, I've been uh, representing people to the government. And uh, I think, you know, people want us to carry on that job is what I feel. Uh, I'd like to carry on that job. If people choose me not to do that in Kefili, then I'll have to go and find something else. And I, sit, and I will do that. But what I really want to do is carry on helping people. Um, and, and that's why I'm standing for re-election. Okay. I would, I would like to ask you a question about climate change. Yeah. Um, and I know obviously it's a, it's quite a big issue today, particularly with young people. As an MS, how would you ensure that Kefili is effectively achieving the government's net zero carbon targets? So there's a, a target for um, electric buses uh, to, be, to be on the roads. Um, there's a UK-wide target for electric vehicles. Uh, and uh, Welsh Government has got a, a package of environmental measures uh, that are aimed to um, improve our, our living standards, our air quality particularly, um, and also the amount of carbon in the atmosphere. So well, Welsh, uh, the Welsh Government want to have a national forest for Wales. Uh, we want to have sustainable transport. So that means uh, improving the rail service. The Welsh Government's invested £750 million into the rail service, and we've seen we will see brand new trains on tracks in 2023, uh, making it easier for people to get to work, connecting those by buses. And what I want to do in Caerphilly is get a flexible bus service operating. I managed to get bus services to the Royal Gwent and the Heath. Now I want to see a flexible bus service pilot being introduced in Caerphilly. That way you get people out of their cars. And the other thing is using the coronavirus pandemic for a positive purpose, and that's to keep people working in their communities and not traveling to Cardiff on the A470 every day. So, you know, if you can get 30% of people who were, all, who were previously working away from home, working in their communities, maybe the community Caerphilly Miners Centre at the end of St Martin's Road, for example, you could have people working there. Welsh Government spent a million pounds on that building. I reckon you could have uh, public sector workers based in that building rather than based in Cate's Park in Cardiff, uh, down in Cardiff. You take traffic off the, off the A470, you're improving air quality, you're reducing carbon emissions. That's the, those are the kind of steps a Welsh Government can take. With regard to uh, the, the global crisis, I think the emphasis must lie with countries like America and China uh, and India, those big carbon producers. And I think we need a global agreement on carbon emissions at the Paris summit. We must have that resolved. You know, you've got to have carbon emissions uh, reduced globally. But we've got our part to play in Wales in the way I've just suggested. So obviously, the pandemic and coronavirus is still a massive issue at the moment. But how has working through the pandemic affected what you do? How has it affected your day-to-day -day life? So I've been working from home through the pandemic. I've got my three-year-old and my five-year-old at home. Um, I did an interview last year for St Martin's Radio and they were running around in the background. You know, it's a real uh, um, challenge to work from home. But as a as a constituency politician has changed the nature of what I do and in some ways I've been able to connect more widely with people because the thing about coronavirus is it affects everyone so previously when I was working on individual issues like health education environment 
there were groups of people interested. And if I put something on Facebook, for example, groups of people would pick it up. What I found through the pandemic is everyone is interested in what's happening with coronavirus. So the information I'm putting out there, everybody is, is latching onto and asking me questions about. There have been times when I've been cooking my daughter's tea, uh, putting ketchup on their chips. I shouldn't be feeding them chips, should I? I should be feeding them salad. I've been putting ketchup on their salad, salad cream on their salad. Um, and um, I've been answering at the same time, holding my mobile phone, answering questions on, on Facebook. Uh, typing answers in, you know, so that's, that's the nature of work that has been for me. And I think that's for a lot of people. People have been, you know, working from home, but they've been doing the domestic stuff alongside their, their actual work, working harder uh, while also doing domestic life. But I found that Facebook particularly, I'm doing Facebook live sessions, has enabled me to connect with a lot more people than I ever have before. And it's been a lifeline for me. People out there asking me questions, telling me about their experiences, asking me to raise things with Welsh Government, with the Health Board, getting people to vaccinations, for example, all of these things have happened through social media. And social media gets a bad name, uh, but it's been very, very useful as a positive tool for me in connecting with people. So thank you very much for coming on the show and talking with us today. It's been a pleasure having you here. Um, is there anything now that you would like to say to the listeners? My, my, I mean, when I'm standing for election, it's the, I like, I like offering people what I can do for them. So I like to say to someone, what can I do for you? You know, that's why you want to be elected, is to help other people. The, the, the issue, the problem I've got with elections is I've got to ask people for something and ask their vote. And I'm really bad at it. I'm really bad at saying to someone, will you vote for me? Sometimes you just got to ask that question out, you know, out loud. So let me explain why I want people to vote for me. It's because I want to get on with the job of helping people. I want to get on with the job of representing this community in which I was born, in which I grew up, and which I've always lived. I love this community. I, you know, I can't express how much I adore where I live and I want to make it better. So if I'm asking for your vote, the only reason I'm asking for it is so I can continue, get back to work and make this community the best it can be. So that's all for today on St. Martin's Radio. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, Friday, we will be talking to Lib Dem candidate Stephen Hitchler. See you there. Martin School Radio.